Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your home for all things strange and unusual, Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your hosts, Vic Waitley. And Marcus D. And guys, we have got a fantastic episode for you guys today, talking about all things cryptid, alien, and maybe something in between, not quite <laughs> sure. A uh, few housekeeping things that we want to do. We want to give a big shout out to uh, our new good friend, Johnny Smith, uh, from the Inquisitive Minds podcast. Oh, yeah, we had an interview with him. It was a great interview. If you get a chance, please, please, yeah. please go check it out. He's an amazing interviewer, and you get to find out some things about some of our weirder cases we've had in the past. Yeah, uh, we posted it up on our uh, on our Facebook, uh, as well as go over to Inquisitive Minds Podcast and check that out, because uh, we talked about shadow people on there, and if you guys are familiar uh, with our work and what we do, uh, shadow people has been an ongoing conversation that we've brought up many times, and it was actually our very first first thing we ever talked about in the paranormal it's our very first video we ever put out please don't go back don't. and watch that video or do we are so awkward it's in so it. bad if you guys think that we're bad now man we were awful awful back then it was just uh, you know we were trying to be weird we were trying to like just be these weird characters and just not ourselves and it just i'm glad that we've gotten to where we are now we're just more comfortable being just us <laughs> Even though we're still weirdos. Uh, anyway, uh, today uh, we're going to be drinking Diet Cokes again. Uh, but if uh, you had been in here about five seconds ago when we were recording, uh, you would have heard me scorning Vic Waitley for being the weird animal that he is by drinking hot sauce straight from the bottle. Oh my god, I cannot believe you're bringing this up You here. are disgusting, okay. sir. You freak me out. Everyone, I'm a paranormal investigator. Everyone loves hot sauce on this, that, or another thing. Why not skip the middleman and just drink the hot sauce? Because chicken or tacos are also good, too. You don't just drink the hot sauce right from the bottle, man. That's gross. It's pretty good. That's just burning your tongue at that it, point. That's just Okay, capsaicin's good for you. The spiciness enhances your mental acuity, and it just tastes really good. I don't need an excuse. I'm looking over while we're, like, researching uh, today's episode, and he's just drinking... Frank's hot sauce just for the bottle going. Ah, it's good. You look, you look like just a weird distorted Zima commercial back. From, oh my god, you were just so. So we're not drinking anything more interesting than Diet Coke today, and I haven't ran out to buy like alcohol for the studio in a while. I need to get on that. Oh gosh. Um. Uh, so anyway. Uh, we want to uh, go over a few comments from our last episode that we did. If you guys haven't checked it out, we did an episode over the famous Flannel Man, uh, which is an awesome paranormal entity that appears to people either while they're sleeping or even while they're awake. People report seeing this strange bearded lumberjack man in a red flannel shirt that appears to them. Um, people argue about what he, uh, about what he is, what he represents, and why they see him and all that. So, uh, go check that episode. That was pretty awesome. Uh, a couple uh, things people had said. Whiskey Conspiracies said, Sounds like a case of socially awkward ninja hipsters. Maybe it's the embodiment of the patron saint for soy lattes. 
That or it's the modern manifestation of the sleep paralysis, which, after all, who isn't scared of almost lumberjacks? I wonder if there's such a thing as an anti-Wendigo, souls of those who died in the wilderness who wish to keep those from the fate that they had suffered. I mean, that does strike a chord with me. There is this folkloric figure of the helpful huntsman that's just kind of out there in the woods and will get you out of trouble here and there. Like, if you want an example that probably all of us know, it's like the huntsman from, um, uh, God, the one with the wolf. I can't, I don't, oh, Little Red Riding Hood. You scare me, sir. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot to do that for a sec. <laughs> anyway, I also don't think it's a case of social awkward ninja hipsters, uh, because anybody who's ever described the flannel man describes him as a person that would have no tolerance uh, for a hipster coming up to him. Like, walking up to him like, uh, sir, that's bad for the environment when you litter. Uh, do you mind picking that? No, he's just going to probably toss you up like aside and move and keep going although i kind of like this idea of a patron saint of soy latte <laughs> uh liam b said i had no idea this was a thing i woke up once when i was a kid and saw this in my room uh i couldn't see the face at all uh but i saw the teeth when it smiled at the time i thought i was dreaming you know that's why we do this uh you know this podcast and uh and everything is the more people hear about all these encounters with the paranormal that people have had, they realize that they're not alone and other people have had similar encounters uh, that they've had. That's amazing that you've had one of these encounters. If you want to send us like a real detailed write-up, we'd love that. Absolutely. But also perhaps even a bigger deal. I know the guys at Strange Familiars Podcast are really into collecting any stories involving Flannel Man. I bet you they would really appreciate it if you guys reached out to them. Yeah, we'd also appreciate it even more. So don't so reach out to us first. <laughs> also, Torn Flesh uh, said, very great video as always. Do you think it's possible that these Watcher entities like Grinning Men, Shadow People, Hat Man, the Flannel Man, etc. are actually ancient tulpas who have grown and become far more powerful by humans spreading their encounters and legends? I don't think we... Did we get to talking about it potentially being a tulpa in the podcast? I'm trying to remember if that's a conversation we had on there or we just had amongst ourselves. We haven't had that conversation about tulpas yet. Okay, good, good, good. However, Um, we... we, Yeah, however we... We shoot this idea amongst each other, though, because, like, as Strange Familiars had brought it out, it did seem to grow and bloom a lot. Mm. Um, If you guys aren't exactly familiar with what a tulpa is, a tulpa is a... Uh, entity or a thought form that is created from essentially from your concentrated will, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, there's de- de- kind of debates on that. And uh, if you're interested in finding out more about Tulpas, we put up a video. Actually, it was our last uh, paranormal case file we did. And we put up a very long discussion on it Tulpas. Was a, it was a deep dive, and we both we both went to some dark places going yeah. over the Tulpa thing. And I think that might come through a little bit in the case. Uh, yeah, so, uh, really touching on. Do we think that these things could could actually be Tulpas that people are manifesting? I'm gonna tell you now, Torn Flesh. That is a whole podcast by itself. I mean, when you start thinking about the concept of is every paranormal entity that's out there just a manifestation? It's like something we manifested through our sheer will and consciousness. It takes you to a very scary place very fast. And yeah, so do I think that it is? I think it's a very strong possibility. I, I really do. Um, I'm not really fully committed on like going deeper than that quite yet because I'm still kind of coming to terms with exactly how I feel about tulpas and all that. 
One of the problems is when you take a deep dive into tulpas and you're not one of those people who's already predisposed to think of them as being these fluffy, friendly, uh, innocuous things, it can it can really take you on a roller coaster ride through a lot of dark potentiality. Yeah. And so, it can make you very yeah. paranoid. Definitely check out our, uh, our episode on tulpas. We're not done with that conversation uh, yet, fully on Tulpa, so make sure that you guys uh, keep up to date on the podcast and uh, the case files. Uh, so when we come back to Tulpa's, because we've just scratched the surface uh, with that aspect of the paranormal. Uh, but with that, I think it is uh, it is time to dive into today's episode what do you think Vic? oh yeah oh yeah let's get into this subject we have a very good one for you Vic came to me with the idea of doing a ep- uh, an episode on the dover demon now if you guys are not familiar with the dover demon which i i was not familiar with the dover demon prior to Vic bringing up to me so i got to really come up yeah you no heard no about it? well sorry sorry let me phrase it i heard of it i was like in the back of my mind like it was a thing but like i didn't i didn't know fully what it was or what it was. I thought it was, in my head, it looked like a lot different than what it actually described um, in the story. So I had a different perception of what it was before I was coming into this and all that. So I misunderstood what exactly that it was. Um, But for those of you that have never been uh, familiar with the Dover Demon, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be fantastic for you guys to learn about it. And if you guys have, uh, it's going to be even more fun with me and Vic talking about what our full thoughts on it. So the story, though, the story of the Dover Demon... Um, uh, the, the story kind of starts around, uh, April 21st, 1977. Okay. This is the very first, uh, mention of the, when people start talking about the Dover demon, uh, and there's three teenagers, uh, Bill Bartlett, Mike Mazako, and Andy Brody. Um, these three are driving, uh, driving home one day and really late at night, about 1030 at night. And as they're driving home, uh, uh, Bill, uh, at the corner of his eye, uh, sees like a flash or something, like something can like catch, like cut catches the corner of his eye, uh, and he only quick, uh, gets a quick glance at it uh, before he turns the car kind of towards it so he can get a better uh, view of it, and he shines his headlights on it. And when he shines his headlights on it, he gets a quick glimpse of this creature, and he described it as being about three and a half to four feet tall, orangish skin that he describes as kind of like wet sandpaper in texture with these giant orange eyes that are glowing um with really long tendril like fingers that are grip and they're all gripping this stone wall that it's in like a like a broken down stone wall that's only like a couple <laughs> that's only like a foot and a half off the ground like it's kind of like crawling across this thing um and it like freaks it like freaks them out and they're they're absolutely terrified of this thing and then it like scurries off into the woods um and Bill gets home. Uh, he's very visibly shaken because uh, his friends. I don't think his friends actually reported seeing this thing. I think no, it was just, yeah, it was only just, he yeah, saw only it. he saw it in the car because he only saw it for a brief moment. He gets home. His dad talks to him. You can see that his son's very distraught about this, and he ends up going to the police the next day or later that night. I can't remember when he ends up going to the police, but he ends up going to them to describe what he saw, uh, and he draws this photograph of it that's pretty famous. We'll put a, a we'll put a description of it for for you guys in the show notes. Um, and they're asking some more information about it. Um, like, like what I said, like it was about three and a half to four feet tall. It had like long tendril, like fingers. Uh, it was orange with like these glowing, glow, uh, orange eyes. 
no nose, no mouth, but just this giant, like, he described it like as a watermelon-shaped head was what that I think he said. So, uh, the next, uh, uh, while he's being interviewed, I don't know if, uh, while he's being interviewed, I thought this was kind of funny. His drawing actually has the, the words written on it. I, uh, Bill, Bill Bartlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. Now, I don't know why you need to swear out a stack of Bibles rather than one. I don't know if that just makes the, makes you more credible, I guess. I I don't I don't I don't know. The other thing is like people give him a lot of crap about um, the drawing being bad considering he's now a professional artist. <laughs> I really don't think it's all that bad, especially for somebody who only saw it for a couple for a couple seconds. Plus he's probably still kind of shaken from his from his encounter. His uh his pin hand was probably moving a little yeah. more than he meant for it to. I think so many people don't realize how unsettling it is to see something that you don't recognize what it is. Like, that you have no uh, frame of reference for what this is and how unsettling this is. You know, because if there's one thing that the human mind can't uh, can't handle, uh, it's lack of resolution. Like, it's lack of resolution. It's lack of closure and all of that. So, like, it just drives us, it, it just drives us crazy just because, just because of it, you know. Uh, and so when he saw this, like, of course it's going to startle him and he's going to be shaken up about it and probably have a terrible drawing of it, probably. Um, he, and that's probably the most famous one. That's like the most famous story about this that you'll, that you'll find in doing this. Yeah, but I don't think it's the most interesting. No, 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 no. I was actually far more interested in, uh, the, the John Baxter case. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. The John Baxter encounter is even better. Uh, so John Baxter, uh, is another teenager that's in the Dover, Massachusetts area. And he's walking home from his girlfriend's house. And uh, him and Bill had not communicated about this, so they, had not, they didn't, you know, they didn't, like, talk to each other prior that day. Um, John's walking home. And this is the same night, right? Yes, yeah, same night, same night. John's walking home uh, on, a high, on the road, and all of a sudden he sees someone on the road walking towards him. And of course, at first he thinks that it's like one of his buddies, and I was like, he's like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" Which I think is weird running into somebody else, you know, at midnight on the road. I think that's kind of weird. But anyway, he's like, you know, "Hey, how's it going?" But the person doesn't respond back, and starts freaking him out a little bit. And he starts walking closer, and starts walking closer. Then he starts realizing that this person's only like, you know, four feet tall, three and a half feet tall. This is a much tinier person. Um, and then he stops. And then it stops too. And then the thing kind of like scurries into the woods near the road. And sure enough, he takes yeah, off after. Yeah, there you go, John. John with some <laughs> some cojones of steels, like you know, what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna run into the woods at midnight after a strange creature that I don't know what it is. And he takes off into the woods after it. And eventually, he uh, after following it for a little bit, he ends up uh, coming across it. And it, this time, it's actually like standing up, leaning against a tree. And he describes it exactly uh, like Bill Baxter did. And that it's three and a half feet tall. It's got that orange skin with those glowing uh, orange eyes, uh, with those long tender-like fingers. And then, and he stares at it for a little bit, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I left my car somewhere else." And he just takes off and he heads out and he makes it back to the road. And he's too scared to even walk home anymore. And he flags down a car that's passing by and it takes him home. One of the things I think that's really interesting on how he describes it is when he gets to the point where he's looking it in the eyes, he says he becomes overcome by all these thoughts and anxieties about what it's doing. Is it preparing for something? I wonder if this is just 
the natural reaction of looking something in the eyes and you don't know what it is, or if it was somehow inducing anxiety in him? I'm going to go with the former. I think probably what happened was he... He runs into this thing. He has no idea what it is, and he's just and he's just freaked out. And he realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't have ran into the woods after something that I didn't know what it was. I made a mistake. I I think that's the more likely conclusion, but just in the way that it's written, when he's giving his account of it, it, it almost it almost sounds like something acting on him. Mm. I don't know. I think it's more. Of a, I think this is more of a, just a natural feel because I think in other entities that we've described before, like shadow people, the grinning man, hat man, things like that, it the the fear is so much more part of the narrative when more people are telling the story. I think when people are reiterating like the story of John Baxter, that isn't getting carried over. Now that could just be that they're not fully getting his point of view. I totally get that, not and I'll and I'll admit that, but I. I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold on it being a supernatural fear yet. I mean, still, just chasing this weird entity into the woods and then staring at it into his glowing eyes, I can see how that's no. going to cause some no. intense anxiety. No. Balls of steel, Mr. Baxter. Balls of steel. Awesome, dude. Um, and the final uh, major story from, from that time period uh, is about Abby Brabham. I think I said that right. Uh, she's another teenager. Uh, she was being driven home. I'm, I'm assuming by her boyfriend. I'm assuming that's probably who she's in the car with. Uh, as they're traveling down the road, they encounter another. They encounter the same creature, like crouched down on the side of the road, um, and then it scurries off. And she described it the exact same way, except for one weird detail. Yeah, yeah that that John and Bill did, except the except the detail with the eyes. She described them as green, and they even pressed her on that. Yes. On are you sure they weren't orange? And she's like, no. Yeah. She was, it was green. Yeah, she was pretty confident in what she said that they were green and, and then it was different. And and those are the three main stories that that that, that people attribute to the that people true attribute to the Dover demon. Um this thing was huge uh, at the time that this story breaks out. You know, local authorities were trying to uh, get to the bottom about what exactly people had seen. This attracted the attention of local police. Um Famous crypto cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman actually was like on the ground level of this. I think shortly after this story broke, and I actually went around and interviewed uh, all of the teenagers that were involved. And you know, like most responsible um, paranormal investigators, Coleman was like, you know, hey, are, you know, are these people credible or are they a hoax? And he found them all to be very credible because their story was consistent. They're like, look, this is what we saw. We have no reason to make this up. You know, uh, so he found them all to be pretty credible. Yeah, I think only one person ever came forward to really besmirch any of them, and that was the teacher of the yeah, Bill, uh, yeah, of uh, of uh, Bill. Yeah, yeah. And he said that yeah, he would totally make things up. This is a bad kid. He's just trying to get attention. But then later, the investigators found out that this individual had a reason, like a motive for belittling <laughs> this person, and like the investigators basically concluded that this was not really a trustworthy source in itself. <laughs> but besides that, everyone came forward to say that, no, that this would be out of their nature to just make up. Mm -hmm. Now, first, the local authorities were trying to essentially say the first that the kids were probably confused. And the very first explanation of what the Dover Demon might actually be uh, might be that it was a moose calf. 
that was just wandering around the road of Dover, Massachusetts that late at night. Now, if you've ever seen like a do like a moose calf, it's kind of about the same size of Dover. It's orange. Uh, it kind of. And it's got those long, lanky features, but there's definitely a few issues here too. Um, one of the big ones being that they don't have hands in almost all the reports to very detailly assert that they had hands. And also, like, it's the wrong time of year and they're not in that area. Uh, also, I have a problem with this. I don't understand why anytime that somebody claims that they've seen some sort of cryptid, like, they're usually, like, reported, like, out in, the, like, in rural areas. You don't think rural people know what a moose calf looks like or what a deer looks like or a raccoon or a cow? I'll tell you this. All the animals that lived in the area where I grew up, I pretty much knew what they were and I could spot them very easily. From an early age most of the time too because okay. it's just part it's just part of being out there. Now, you know me, I grew up in like downtown Indianapolis. If you drop me off in the woods, I'm going to be like, what was that? I heard a hooting sound. Was that an alien? <laughs> what was that? Well, I can't describe that. Yeah, I'm obviously not going to know what I'm seeing, but you drop, you know, Vic Whiteley in the woods and he encounters, you know, a cow. He's not going to go, oh, look, I ran into this cryptid. He's going to be like, oh, why is there a cow wandering yeah, in the well, woods? be a cow in the woods. Yeah, it's like, like he will at least get the story right. That he saw, that was the weird part of it. Not that it was just some strange cryptid and things like that. I don't, I don't know why people just don't give credit to country folk enough to realize what they saw. And also another thing too, why is it that all these like police are going out investigating all of these strange like, encounters? I was really hoping that we'd bring yeah. this up. This case is really well documented by the police. You can tell that they really, really, really gave their all trying to solve this mystery. And I thank them for it. But I am also very surprised that they had this much spare time on their hands mm. to just go into this much detail into a case of a cryptid sighting. Yeah, did the cops not have anything better to do? Like, did the cops not have anything better to do in 1977? Now, it's going back to the moose thing. There, people have said, okay, well, there's not moose in the area. Maybe it was a um, foal, or maybe it was a baby cow, or maybe it was a young deer. But also, it's the wrong time of year for the, a young deer. And I mean, I grew up on a horse farm. A foal is something you're going to know you're seeing a foal. I mean, they don't look like some sort of odd monster, and also they'd be—they're big. They're—they're they're not like the size—the size that these things are, and they definitely don't get up on their hind legs and walk. That's the thing. Like some of these accounts very detailedly describe that these things were moving bipedally, and none of the creatures that people throw off the idea on—maybe it was this, maybe it was that—are capable of bipedal movement. Also, a slight possible, like, nudge in the direction that could have been a captive. Everybody also just says that, you know, oh, there's no moose that have been out there in that time of the year in that in that area at that time. Though, at the same time, people often say, too, that there are reports of, like, large black cat sightings in Indiana or in the Midwest. And they're like, oh, there's no black, big black cats in the wilderness. But, like, Nature Park people will be like... Oh, yeah, they're out there. Absolutely. We're just going to say, yeah, yeah, but nobody admits that they're out there, so I, I don't know. I, that's true. Like, I think I've used this example here before, but they say there aren't wild boar in Indiana anymore. Oh, yeah. I, I've oh, definitely yeah. seen oh, yeah. them. I've seen animals in Indiana that appear to have been uh, wild mink. Um, when I was a kid, I swore I saw a bobcat in central Indiana. They're not supposed to be that far south. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, the next, uh, the next possible explanation for what this could be too is that it was some kind of an alien. You know, that the these three teenagers were out and they saw like an alien that was wandering around. And I felt it was kind of weird that that Coleman wrote this explanation off at first because he says that oh, there probably was an alien because there was no UFO sightings. Uh, Which at, I thought was a weird yeah, way of putting that's it. Kind of a weird comp out. That's like saying someone says, oh, yeah, you know, astronaut Scott Kelly, uh, he stopped at the Denny's here in Evansville. And people are like, no, that's not true. Otherwise, I would have seen a rocket ship. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the lack of, of UFOs means that there's probably not any kind of alien life for them that might be in the area at that time. Like, I, I can't point to anything specific to say this is probably an alien, but, I mean, this is a weird life form here. I guess I can't say it's not either, but I, I'm with you. I don't think... Just simply there were no UFO sightings in the area at the time. Mm-hmm. Totally discounts it. Mm-hmm. Are, are we through the, the different yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, those are just those are the, the surface explanations that everybody just tries to give. Okay. One of the things I've been really wanting to bring up about this is based on a newspaper from the time that had a map of the sightings. These All these sightings occur effectively on a straight line, all just heading in one direction. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that really lends some credence to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know where this thing was coming from or where it was going, but it seemed pretty motivated to get where it was going to. Do you think... I'm going to... We're going to cover this now. Do you do you think that there is something to be said from the first two stories of this thing having glowing orange eyes to the third one having glowing green eyes? I think it's more likely about the headlights. Yes. Because this is... Uh, on the third one... We're dealing with a car basically pointing its headlights directly at it, where the second one didn't have headlights at all involved in it, and the third one, it was off to the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of animals that when you when you cast light at them, they have that, like, reflective eye thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what cause? I don't... You know what causes that? It's a secondary lens. Okay, okay. That, that causes that. So that's what I was yeah. assuming, that it had to be... It had to be something to do with the headlight that was just causing just that different colors. Like, I'm not an optometrist, but basically, you know, you have the outer lens that protects your eyes, and then you have your iris, and then back behind there is another lens. If I remember right, it's the light hitting that back lens and reflecting back at you. When we were researching this, I was... I was watching I was I was we, me and Vic were watching this a lot of these uh, a lot of videos together doing some research on this and the very first time that I saw a photograph of it or like a depiction of it I turned him and I'm like does this not look like the Hopkinsville goblin to you like in a slight like like a like a little bit the only real difference between the, like a big difference though with the Hopkinsville goblins and and the Dover demon is I think the Dover demon is, is slightly taller but had absolutely no ears. Like I, I will give them that. But it, 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 it had a very strange, similar shape to it. Okay, I'm ready to talk about this. I okay. think that this is an entity very similar to, say, the Hopkinsville goblins, the goblins we're talking about in Helliard, the in various other just generally pale, odd humanoid creatures that come up from underground. Um, oh goodness, where to start on this? Um, I got the, yeah, 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 I gotta go. It's with the term Dover Demon. That was termed by Lauren Coleman. That was he was the one that 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 termed this. And many times, like I was out there researching, I was trying to find more modern sightings of the Dover Demon, and I'm trying to type that. And then I it finally clicked, clicked into me that I realized that I'm probably not going to find any examples of it because people outside of Dover, Massachusetts, probably would not call it the Dover Demon. They would call it something. They would just call it something else. 
And the documentary Helliard, which is on YouTube, and it's fantastic to watch. But as I, we said in previous episodes, don't watch anything past the first, like, two, two three episodes, because after that it just goes downhill. But they were talking about them studying the Hopkinsville Goblins um, and that story from 1955, and they were finding that there was tons of other stories of these creatures all through Kentucky, but they were all called different things, and nobody realized that everybody had these local legends of these things, because everybody was calling them different things. Yeah, I, I'm really wondering if this thing came up with a group of them, this one got lost, was heading towards a different mine shaft to kind of get back underground, because there's a lot of stories involving these things coming out of mine shafts. I'm really wondering if it was something along those lines. And while we were doing this research, I, I just kind of look up at Marcus and I'm like, Hey, Marcus, what was the what was the moon phase? And then I, from my you know photographic memory, was able to just immediately throw out the phrase, uh, throw out waxing crescent. He Googled it. I didn't. Why are you telling everybody that? I looked so much cooler in that right before you. Okay. Yeah, I Googled it. And it was a it was a waxing crescent. And then I asked him to Google the same, but for the Hopkinsville goblins. And what did you come back with? That it was also a waxing crescent moon that night. Because if these things are coming up to the surface, I'm going to assume they're likely coming up for some form of resource gathering, likely food. And as most animals do, they'll hunt kind of on a schedule, often by a lunar cycle. And I, I was surprised to find out that it matched, it matched up. Mm -hmm. So this is a pretty interesting running theory that, I, that we're going to be running with. If we start finding out uh, if you guys have any more cases that are similar to this, I'm really in, we're really interested in the dates to find out if these things are coming up on some sort of a lunar cycle because, you know, there's something instinctually, like, in their minds that's causing them to come out to gather resources, like you said, or mate or something like that. Personally, I think that we have, we have lots of mines around here. We're not far from the Hopkinsville area. I say that me and you should just camp out at the entrance to one of these underground areas on a waxing crescent night. I'm bringing a gun. <laughs> so, uh, would you be willing to do this? To camp out one night in front of an abandoned mine shaft? Absolutely, sir. Okay, good, good, good. I, I, I didn't want to bring it. I wanted to have the pressure of the audience here oh. to pressure you into saying yes, because I wasn't sure if you would. But, okay, but speaking of other sightings similar to this that goes along those lines, I got one for you. Oh? Have you ever heard of the Toronto Tunnel Monster? No. Okay. We are talking around just a few years after the Dover Demon Incident. This was 1978. Um, There's a very similar sort of encounter in the Toronto area. And we don't have the, the name for the guy who came forward with the account. Just The only part of his name he'd give is his first name, Ernest. Because uh, he said he, he didn't really want people to be accusing him of being crazy, accusing him of being a drunk. But he did get interviewed, so presumably the media had his name. Now, his encounter went like this. Uh, him and his wife were raising a group of kittens, and one of them went missing. So he went to look around to try to see where it might have gotten off to. So he's kind of wandering around this area, and he finds this kind of cave, and he's like, it probably leads into the tunnel, like the sewer tunnels and stuff, because apparently that's a thing in Toronto. So he gets down, and he starts to kind of go in there to see if the kitten's down there. And he sees something that looks very similar to this, to a Hopkinsville goblin or to the Dover demon around the same sort of height. This one had kind of a darker skin and had orangish red glowing eyes, which I thought was a interesting mashup. Mm -hmm. And he just sees this thing and just kind of freezes. And before this thing disappears down a tunnel to its left, it actually looks at him and says, go away, go away. 
and apparently did so in a hissing voice. At this point, the guy was just totally shaken, took off, went home, told his wife about it. His wife later confirmed to the media that, yes, he was extremely shaken up by whatever encounter there was. And they did, after that, interview some of the local people who worked down in the sewers and stuff like that. And for the most part, they basically got a response of, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Also, too, keep in mind that these things are coming up for some sort of mating or eating or, you know, general migrating or whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be bothered either if I ran into somebody. So I'd tell somebody piss off, too. But this brings up, like, a interesting possibility. Like, these things are capable of at least mimicking human speech. I'm assuming by how spot on it was, it probably wasn't mimicry. It was probably just straight up mm. using human speech. <laughs> Who's teaching them human speech? Or are they just learning it through observation? And if they're learning it through observation, how the heck are they having that much time to observe us? <laughs> well, <laughs> without us catching them. Well, because they're probably used to hiding and keeping away from humanity. That's probably what it is. But, you know... You know, you know, anybody who studied a foreign language very briefly, do you know the very, you start learning certain phrases you need to know relatively quickly. You I'm know, linguistically inept. You're going to have to where, break this where, down. You know, these are, everybody gets the highlights, right? Whenever, whenever, whenever you want to learn a language, you learn, where's the bathroom? Hello. And curses. <laughs> and curse words. That's what you learn. Some sort of general piss off, you know, in some sort of way. Every single part, tell, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. That was the first thing anybody did whenever they went into <laughs> Spanish class in the sixth grade. They immediately started learning curse words and, and things like that. You want to know. I just thought that was a really interesting detail. And in a creature that his description matches very well. Um, it's actually not the only creature that matches the description very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to have to look at this because I know I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here. I think this just goes to show that we're... There's something to this phrase of there there are these weird goblin-esque like creatures that, that seem to be that live underground. I'm gonna pronounce it Managishi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think I got that right? Yeah, yeah, I think you were saying that right. Yeah. Okay. That's brought up by the Dover Demon all the time. It's a Cree Nation mythological entity from the same sort of area of these other humans that are pale, they lack a nose, they have six digit fingers. Uh, they come up from underground, and, yeah, and they're kind of a dick. Yeah, and they'll they'll basically <laughs> they'll uh, do mischievous mischievous things like try to dump over canoes around rabbits. I guess that's worse than mischievous. It's more homicidal. Yeah. But I just thought that that matched up what we're talking about very very well. Yeah. And I had also um, found one other thing that a, uh, another person researching this had drawn a connection to, which was uh, pukas. A type of fake creature um, from English mythology, may, maybe Celtic, but um, from that sort of area. Yeah. And so I'm going to go ahead and put this on record now. Anybody that's listening to our uh, episode on this, uh, you know, because we have listeners from, from all over. If you guys have any sort of, like, creature that sounds like this or any sort of, like, underground goblin-ish creature that pops out, please put it in the comments below. Let us know what you call it, what the people in the air, you know, what, what refer to it as and... And what it does, because we definitely want to get more stories uh, about these things. We want to know more. It seems like about every place that has consistent caves have these myths of these other humans that live down there. Like even just think about the myths of the Fey folk. Mm. They live in the hills or under the hills, and they're usually pale and they're usually wistful. 
and they're usually very thin. Mm. I mean, I really think that there is, I really think there's something going on here. I think that it's existed in our spoken word records for freaking ever. Well, I think people also don't understand how interconnected all these underground tunnels is. I mean, like, we're up in here in Indiana, but where our cave systems up here is connected to the Mammoth Cave. I mean, and an that's the largest cave system yeah, in the world, right? Yeah, and... You know, I recently, I you know, I went to I went to the Indianapolis Zoo, and you know how we were talking about uh, strange octopi, like yeah. we were talking about strange octopi, uh, and how they pop up here on here on the Ohio River. Uh, I came to discover that the waterways here connect directly to the Gulf of Mexico. Really? There's like the, yeah, they've been able to map this out, and there are straight underwater connections where it all flows back down to the Gulf of Mexico. You know, and there's so much about the un, the under part of the earth and underwater that we just don't that we just don't realize. We know more about space than we know about what's un, what's underneath us. Oh, yeah, okay. This opens up some fascinating possibilities because now I'm wondering if there's these underground octopi because octopi are very well adapted for squeezing through yeah. things. I'm like, is there this underground? subsurface water dwelling species of octopi that sometimes wash up into the Ohio, Ohio River. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, but again, going back to the, the Mammoth Cave system, again, just showing how, like, there's so much of this area that's connected. So, you know, if you have a species of something that, like, lives underground that is evolved to the point where it knows how to move around um, underground, that's probably, again, why it has been able to survive without a generally without us being able to know about it you know because you know it knows how to navigate the underground parts and we don't because i'm not going to go into an under i'm not going i'll camp out in front of the cave but i'm not going through the cave to try to find some sort of secret crevice yeah oddly enough i'm pretty willing to go about anywhere i don't go underground yeah. underground is a place i do not go yeah i don't want to get stuck in a, in a cavern and be stuck in some sort of rocky tomb you know and then maybe they'll be nice. We'll tell us. To, maybe the Dover Demons underground will tell us to piss off before we get too far, and then maybe maybe we'll get lucky. I, I don't I don't know. So, I think you know my thoughts that this is likely the Dover Demons likely connected to the case of the Hopkinsville Goblins and these other accounts of these mysterious pale underground individuals, which you can find in lots of mythological records. It, it, do Do you think I'm on the spot here? The the only other the only other thing that I can make an, a case for or try to make an argument for that I don't that I haven't heard other people bring up is maybe it's I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the melon heads. I don't like using that term because I think it's very derogatory for what I think it actually legit is. But anyway, but like the the melon the melon head phenomenon, for those of you guys that have that have never heard of that, this is a a piece of folklore, uh, you know, that's very common in, I want to say, Ohio, Connecticut, Michigan, and I want to say Pennsylvania, I could be wrong on that, but anyway, but, but that general section of the country, um, and generally that it's these shorter than average people that have giant heads that live in the woods and run out and that have cognitive disabilities that run out and attack passerby. You know, this people that are passing one by. I've studied a whole lot, but correct me if I'm uh, wrong. Isn't it tied to um, like when they close down all the mental asylums? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I, a lot of people don't understand that. What I think actually was going on for that was in mental health. Like there were there were you know there were mental health facilities, and I'm going to use that in air quotes because they were terrible. Um, 
then if it, then when they were just shut down, the only solution that they had was just let people out in the let people out in the wilderness. And you didn't know? didn't uh, Kennedy just shut down all of them at the yeah. time to rework the system? Yeah, and they just let them out. They just let them out, and they you know just said good luck to you. And all these people just ended up just being in the woods, the ones that could generally survive and scavenge and forage. And I think that's that was what ended up. You know, birthing a lot of the legends of these types of people. This is why modern hospitals have discharge plans. Yeah, you know, and things like that is because of stuff like that. Yeah, um, I don't. You know, could there be something to that? You know, could 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 there have been some sort of person that you know that lives like out of the wilderness that came out that's you know grown accustomed to not being around people. Every time the Dover demon saw anybody, it would take off into the woods, which you know. These people probably became very fearful of people of the horrible things that were done to them. They probably were absolutely terrified of other human beings. So let's see. Uh, they, they would were, that be considered a hydrocephalic head? Oh, I can. Oh, I always hate remembering the the names. I had to pronounce that. Like we'd have to be talking about someone who effectively had dwarfism mm-hmm. and some sort of um, malformation yeah. in the in the head. Yeah, there's there's, about there's, there's a genetic. Oh, it's not genetic disease, but there's a, there's a there's a genetic uh, disorder. Yeah, there's a disorder that eventually just causes like this giant like like a giant head, and it's generally common more in infants than it is in people. You know, and I wish I was better familiar with the uh, the stories of the the doctor or whatever that was performing stuff. But like you you would get stuff like that where the people would build this fluid up in their head, and it would cause their essentially their brain and their and their cranium to swell. Yeah, and a lot of these hospitals just got shut down. They released them into the woods, and people would see these kinds of people scavenging around, and it, it birthed this legend. I don't like calling them that. I think that's terrible. I think that's awful. It reminds me very similar to our Alma story, where people essentially were probably just being very mean to legit people. So, but... So, do you remember about what year it was that Candy shut down all the asylums? Uh, that would have been 60-something. That would have been 69-ish in that time. That, so, that, we're, we're talking about roughly within a decade. Yeah, within a decade. I mean, it would have it would have been very... It would have been around that time period. Like It would have had to have been somebody that had survived in the wilderness for, good, for a good while. Like, okay. Here, here's my problems with it, though. If we're talking about... The Melonheads being humans with genetic disorders and mental impairments. Mm-hmm. Um, first, those are going to make it much more difficult to survive. I would believe that someone could survive for a decade out there, though, if they were predisposed to being able to survive. Um, but what about the glowing eyes? That's the that's the part that that's giving me the big. I don't know, man. No, I mean I I don't have an argument. I was trying uh, trying to take a swing at this. At being anything outside of what we've already discussed. That's just me taking it. It's probably closer to what you were talking about. I was just taking a swing at something. No, no, it's an interesting yeah. idea. It got me into part of the folklore I yeah. truthfully never really is my, looked much you know, into. Is my heart in that explanation? No. No. But, you know, you know, I'm also inclined to just generally believe that people will also often sometimes add the tagline glowing eyes to make things seem more menacing when they think back on it. But I'm inclined to believe the teenagers generally in this. Yeah, I thought and it was they, interesting in story. that they didn't know each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a town of 4,000 people. They probably knew of each other. But... And everything happened in such a condensed timeline. Yeah. Like, I really don't buy the, uh, the hoax argument on this one. Yeah. But if it was a hoax, this would have to be very highly organized. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, you know, the, the theory is that all these, like, teenagers got together to try to cause some sort of mass hysteria m- moment, 
within the community, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see this as being a thing. I think to me, it just seems like it came out just too quickly because two of the stories all happened in the same night, and the next one happened the next day. So I'm hard, I'm also hard to climb to believe that they work together. Well, I think we all know my final thoughts that it is this race of subterranean dwelling, generally pale humanoid creatures with large eyes that are moving through different mine shafts, cave networks, and all that sort of jazz. And that for some reason, from time to time, they come up on perhaps waxing crescent moon nights for some reason, probably resource gathering. That That is that is where I'm at on this. You, after doing this and, and talking with you, I'm sold on, on that theory too. I think that, I think that over the last couple of years, I think that we have discovered that there is something going on underground and people are reporting these same stories with these same type of entities for years, but everybody's just called them different things. You know, hell, you know, props to the people, to the guys from Helliard. I think they did a fantastic job bringing this to the forefront of this type of thing to the, to the forefront. Uh, I think, you know, I definitely think we've added a little bit more of the conversation when we're trying to peg down like a lunar cycle around this. Um, I think the next step in this is I think that we need to come forward and start talking about what are all of these different stories and what is everybody calling these things. I also think we need to do some field work involving this. I agree. I think that's a I think that's a good idea. I think that we should be I think we should be reaching out to two to, to more people to see if uh, there are more cases where people have described these things. Oh, that's true. If you yeah. guys have any leads on stuff like that, let us know. Absolutely. And if you happen to live near Evansville and have access to a cave or mine shaft, <laughs> please let us please let us know. Preferably one with strange pale creatures coming out of it periodically. Yeah. And just just reach out to us. Um but definitely put your guys' thoughts on this in the comments below. Um, we know we definitely want to get your guys' thoughts on what you guys think uh, about the Dover Demon. Um, if you guys like this stuff, don't forget to uh, like, follow us wherever you guys listen to this. Uh, if you guys are checking us out on YouTube, make sure you not only subscribe, hit that notification bell so you guys get up to date, uh, up to date uh, whenever we put out a new video, new content. And make sure you go check out that interview. It Absolutely, was a really yes. Good interview. Make sure you check out our uh, us getting interviewed by the Inquisitive Minds podcast with Johnny Smith. He's doing some fantastic stuff. His very first episode was about Roswell, and I was like, "Props to you, sir," because that is a giant sandwich to try to bite into. Um, so yeah, make sure you check out his stuff. But for now, guys. Keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. All right. That was a lot of fun. All right. Now we're going to move into our Pillow Talk segment of our podcast. Uh, for those of you tuning in for the very first time, the Pillow Talk segment of our podcast is where we keep talking about something else uh, or some concept in the paranormal for a little bit. Um, if you guys would like to check out the rest of this podcast, all you got to do to get it is go over to our patron and sign up today. And uh, that's a great way to show us some support. Uh, if you want to grow that little bit further to show your support. But if not, that's totally fine, too. Um, so today we, we have an interesting discussion, don't we, Vic, for today? Yeah, the interesting dilemma that people run into when trying to determine if something is a cryptid or an alien, and how that often overlaps in some really strange ways. And just to clarify the topic, for example, Bigfoot. We classify that as cryptid, right? Mm-hmm. But why? I mean... Yeah, people see them in the woods, they seem to be a biological organism that seems pretty similar to, you know, many other things in life on Earth. But it's often cited around UFO sightings. I, 
I, I think it comes down to, for for me, it's when it, when it comes to a cryptid, I think, is this something that could biologically exist on Earth that we just don't know what it is? Like, that's, that's when I think of a cryptid. Like, I think, is this something that biologically could exist? Could it function here on Earth? Ha, huh, you've fallen right into my trap. Oh, wait, I didn't know we were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Well, then I'm gonna play- Okay, I've fallen into your trap. What?